0: I could no longer sleepwalk through life. My heart was awake, and it hurt like hell. Hey there! If you believe in God and aren't really sure what to do with that belief, or if you personally know Jesus and want a deeper relationship with Him, then this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Middleton, and welcome to the BookCast. Welcome to chapter 3. If this is your first time joining us, I want to welcome you to the Bookcast, one of the first books to be published via the podcast format. When God called me to write a book, I didn't really want to publish a printed book. Instead, I wanted an audiobook. So today, you get to listen to chapter 3 of that book. Before I start this chapter, though, I want to share a tendency that I have. My heart sometimes wants to disengage from teachings or sermons if I feel targeted. If I feel like someone is just coming after me, I don't want to listen. Because I know what this is like, I don't want you to feel that way, and I assure you that is not my intention. However, I want to be sure to include everything I feel prompted to write. So if you sometimes feel like I am talking straight to you, I pray that you don't take it personally. It may be possible that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through my story and prompting some change. I pray that God uses my story to encourage you and call you deeper to a new level, not call you out by using shame. If what I share feels challenging or uncomfortable, prayerfully lean into some of those feelings and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in your own journey. I also want to challenge you to listen for yourself try not to think about how much someone you know needs to hear this, but use it as a mirror to examine your own heart and apply what the Holy Spirit prompts you to. I want to share with you my story to the best of my ability and hopefully from a place of humility, grace, and the truest thing. Hello, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with codependency the hurt of infertility, and pride. My name is Rachel. Chapter 3. One of those people. I really didn't want to go. I just wanted to avoid it because it hurts so much. I knew if I went, I would have to swallow my heart, plaster on a smiling face, and just be there for my family. Conflicting emotions waged war in my heart as the baby shower for my now 17 year old cousin drew closer. On the one hand, I truly wanted to support my cousin and her new baby. She was courageous in choosing life, and I admired how she was handling herself. In my mind, I truly wanted to celebrate the new life she brought into the world and be happy for her. But on the other hand, Every time I thought of the rapidly approaching baby shower, I felt a sharp, stabbing pain in my own empty womb. That pain flooded my heart and spilled into my eyes on a regular basis. The despondent feelings of jealousy and longing fused together with the desire to be supportive and present for my family. Walking through my own infertility journey while simultaneously trying to navigate the changing family dynamics brought such confusion to my heart i yearned for what was given to my younger cousin and i felt guilty for these envious feelings my heart was a mess and more than anything i just wanted to ignore all of these emotions after i heard that my cousin delivered her baby I desperately wanted to fall back asleep emotionally. I just didn't want to feel in general. I tried to hit the snooze button over and over. I wanted to sleepwalk through life again, hoping to leave the sludge at the bottom of my heart undisturbed. And I might have been able to do that, but breaking up with my best friend and feeling the loss of my identity that came with it shook me so violently that there was no possibility of drifting back to sleep now. These two events, mere months apart, woke me up for good. I could no longer sleepwalk through life. My heart was awake, and it hurt like hell. Wake-up calls I imagine these two events as the first and second wake-up call from my loving Heavenly Father. The news about my younger cousin's pregnancy and the searing pain in dealing with my own fertility issues served as the first wake-up call. For this first wake-up call, I imagine Father God gently sitting on the side of my bed, stroking my hair and trying to rouse my sleeping heart in the most gentle and loving way possible. I can almost hear him say, Rachel, it's time to get up. I need to tend that injury you carry in your heart. It's time to wake up. Groggy and disoriented, I wanted nothing more than to bury myself deeper under my protective covers, mumbling something about a few more minutes of sleep, and hit the snooze button on my heart's alarm clock. That was the first wake-up call. I tried to sleepwalk during the summer that followed the news of my cousin's pregnancy, I attempted to bury my feelings of jealousy and hurt. Ignoring my feelings, I tried so hard to float through life emotionally detached, convincing myself and others that I was a strong person and I had it all under control. Living this way created a pressure cooker inside my chest cavity. This pressure grew so heavy that it threatened to fracture the inside of my ribcage and compromise the structural integrity of my mental health. But on the outside, I looked calm. Happy, even. I convinced myself that I was just fine. That is, until my best friend left me. That's when the second wake-up call came. And it wasn't so gentle. This wake-up call felt more like someone barging into my bedroom in the middle of the night, snapping on the lights while simultaneously yelling, Get up! Get up! Losing my best friend felt like someone tearing the covers from my clutched fists only to reveal the gaping wound in my chest. My internal injuries had made their way to the outside. Losing my best friend felt like losing a part of myself. This loss, compounded with the pain of infertility, created an emergency-like scenario that produced disastrous results. The pressure cooker of my heart had cracked, and black smoke now billowed out of it. Anger outbursts, resentment, arguments, and giving long lectures to my husband about what he had done wrong became normal in our house. I blew up at him over the smallest things. And after my kind husband endured my emotionally charged tirades, I would eventually melt down into a puddle of tears over the pain I felt from infertility and the insecurities of who I was without my best friend. The pain seemed so present and tangible, almost like the pain was part of who I was, part of my identity. I was both abuser and victim in this scenario. It took me a while, but I eventually saw these destructive patterns and it finally became clear to me that I needed help. I needed to do something, otherwise I knew my marriage was not going to make it. I needed to do something because I didn't have my best friend to tell me how to feel. I needed to do something because I felt the tremor of my inner world collapsing around me. It was in this time that I knew I had hit my bottom. These two events revealed to me the true condition of my heart. I was fully awake, and I could now feel the stabbing pain deep inside my chest. What I needed was an emergency room for my heart, a place that would perform open-heart surgery on my emotions and then provide a safe place for me to recover from such a procedure. I was in desperate need of a safe place to process my thoughts and feelings. I had only ever heard of one place that fit that description. The Emergency Room If the church is a hospital, then the Celebrate Recovery program is most definitely the emergency room. It's a 12-step recovery program for all kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. From the outside, it might look similar to other recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous. However, Celebrate Recovery is special in that it is completely centered around Jesus, and it spans all issues in life that a person may face. Before hearing of my cousin's pregnancy, I hadn't really considered attending Celebrate Recovery. When I would hear about it, something in my mind whispered that I didn't need to go to Celebrate Recovery. Something whispered that it was only for people whose lives were really messed up. Those whispered thoughts kept me from getting the help and support that my heart longed for. It stopped me from going. That whisper in my mind was pride. I didn't want to be seen as one of those people. I wasn't that kind of person. I didn't have a drinking or a drug problem, and I certainly didn't want others thinking that I did. In my mind, the kind of people who needed a 12-step recovery program were the kind of people who were below me and who didn't have their life together. I had my life pretty well together, Other than the hemorrhaging wound inside my soul, I thought I was good. I had a job, a husband, two dogs, bought a house, and I was even getting involved with our kids' ministry at church. Pride's voice rang in my ears that I wasn't one of those people and I didn't need that kind of help. I believed this lie until I couldn't stand to hide the hurt anymore. I felt my heart collide with the pavement of the absolute lowest and worst part of my life. I finally hit my own personal rock bottom. There was nowhere for me to go but up. In desperation, I looked for a light at the end of the tunnel, hoping that I'd see an end to the pain of infertility and loss of identity. I saw the upcoming baby shower as a proverbial finish line While I thought to myself, if I can just make it through the baby shower, I'll be okay. But the thing is, God wanted more for me than just to be okay. He wanted to heal and restore me. He wanted to make me whole. At this lowest point in my life, it felt like I had no pride left. I no longer cared if others saw me as having it under control. When my heart was drowning, it didn't have time to worry about what others thought of me. I knew that something needed to change, so why fight the stigma? Why continue to pretend like everything was okay when it really wasn't? This was an emergency, and I couldn't live this way anymore. I had tried to deal with these feelings alone for too long, and got nowhere. I finally admitted that my life was unmanageable, and I was finally ready for a drastic lifestyle change. I pulled into the church parking lot and slowly trudged through the September humidity as I wheeled the stretcher that carried my barely beating heart up to the building. As I entered, I prayed that this program could help me find a way to just make the pain stop and get through the year intact. So I set aside my pride, admitted that I had to work through some issues, and finally walked into my first Celebrate
1: Recovery meeting. My Struggle with Pride Admitting that I had a problem was extremely
0: difficult for me, but I just couldn't pretend anymore. My life and heart had spun out of control. It seemed like I was triggered by everything. Every conversation, scroll through social media, every pregnancy announcement, and every sermon brought reminders of the pain that plagued my soul. Now I can look back thankful for that pain, because without it, I wouldn't have reached my bottom. It was because that pain became greater than my fear of what others might think that I finally did something about it. I'm thankful that the pain finally became greater than my pride. In reflecting on my childhood, I see how I've always struggled with pride. I've always loved basking in the light of being the kid who follows the rules. I liked being the one who had it all together or who knew all the answers. I was even voted teacher's pet in high school because I knew how to pretend like the kid who had it all together. I can see now how pride had latched onto my heart early on and caused me to see myself as if I had all the answers. As a child, I could do almost anything that I set my mind to, artistic expressions, musical instruments, academic success, and most games and sports, and almost any child activity I could just do. This ability brought about a sense of self-reliance and a feeling that I was just a little bit better than the other kids. Because doing new things came easily to me, in my mind, That meant I had it all together and could just make it work. If I wanted to learn something new, I did. And on the rare occasion, when I was not instantly good at something, I would simply not participate in that activity. Growing up this way left me blind to my own faults. I assumed that everyone else was to blame for the problems that came up in life. Because I assumed everyone else was the one with the problem, I learned from an early age how to stand back and let others take the blame. I found that when I made a mistake, or when a situation got out of hand, I could just reframe the narrative to look like I was innocent. I often found that if I was just silent enough, and if I said a few well-timed words, I could appear like I was not at fault. I did such a good job of painting this perfect picture that I fooled even myself, truly assuming that I was innocent. Because I wanted to maintain that image of perfection, the pride I struggled against forbid me from speaking up and taking my share of responsibility for my actions. My brothers felt the brunt of my pride when growing up. Most often, They would take the full weight and responsibility when something would go wrong. I would just stand back and let them take the blame for situations that caused family drama. I would keep my facade of perfection intact while remaining just silent enough. Pride had everyone fooled, including me. So, when it came to admitting that I had a problem in adulthood, that skill to recognize the problem was non-existent. I had not learned how to humble myself in childhood. So how was I supposed to know how to do that now? This struggle with pride is what kept me from healing for so long because I felt the need to uphold this mask of perfection that had been plastered onto my face since childhood. I found it so difficult to see the fact that I needed help. It was also difficult for me to see what pride was doing to the way I saw myself to my identity. Because I couldn't see the fact that I needed help, I also couldn't see an accurate portrayal of who I was. But that's what pride does. Pride covers over our true identity and tricks us into believing a false narrative about ourselves. What Pride Does In my case, pride played a big role in my unwillingness to learn and see the wound in my heart. Till it was an emergency. I had not learned how to honestly examine my own heart in a way that would actually show the dirt and leaves in it. Instead, pride had convinced me that I didn't need any deep healing. It convinced me that I didn't need to examine myself. It convinced me that I wasn't the problem. Another thing that pride does is it damages our relationship with God. In my opinion, This is the biggest impact that pride has on our identity. When our relationship with God is damaged, how we perceive our identity is deeply affected. God is our source of love, joy, and peace, and if our relationship with Him is not in right alignment, then the center of who we are is thrown off. Pride can cause us to lose sight of the one who we were created to reflect and when that happens, we lose sight of who we truly are. The person who God created us to be gets left behind, distorted, and abandoned when we allow pride to create a wedge between us and God. Pride can easily damage our relationship with Him, and in turn, that affects how we see ourselves. God is so passionately in love with us that he abhors anything that gets in the way of that relationship. And few things ruin our relationship with God faster than pride. In Psalm 138, verse 6, it says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God regards the lowly and humble in that he comes close and knows them personally, but he keeps the prideful at arm's length. I believe that scripture sets up pride as something that God hates because it gets in the way of our relationship with God, because it distorts how we see ourselves, how we see God, and how we can relate to him. I've found that pride can be very sneaky. Pride isn't just in the idea that I think too highly of myself, but it slyly lurks in the belief that I am too broken to be helped. When we believe that we are past the point of God's saving grace, that means that we believe our sin and brokenness to be more powerful than Jesus. This belief that we are too broken and past repair means that we essentially believe that we are greater than the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus. That belief is rooted in pride. For me, this belief hid in the delicate balance between thinking myself too good for Celebrate Recovery while at the same time thinking myself too broken to be helped. While I didn't feel like I belonged at Celebrate Recovery because I didn't struggle with something obvious like drugs or alcohol, I knew that I had profound emotional pain and I assumed that pain was too complex and too deep to heal. I believed that my emotional issues simply couldn't be helped and that I was past the point of healing. Let me say this plainly. You are never too broken for God. Nothing you will ever do can come between you and his love. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us. From God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight, thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Even if you have sold yourself to the devil and promised your firstborn child to him. Jesus can easily save you from that bondage. There is no ditch too deep that God can't pull us out of. So, since this is all true, when we see ourselves as beyond the point of no return, we act out of the pride of our hearts instead of humbly believing God's truth about us. When God sees us through the blood of Jesus, we are righteous, Made whole, clean, and pure in his sight. So if God sees us as pure, when we choose to see ourselves as anything other than the way he sees us, that is pride. It creeps into our identity, is present in self deprecation and haughtiness because both distort how we see ourselves. When we humble ourselves and come to God through Jesus, All he sees is the miraculous work of the cross. He sees us as righteous children. Pride holds us back from a close and intimate relationship with God, and without a close relationship with Jesus, living out of our identity in Christ is impossible. This is how pride affects our identity and hinders us from becoming the person that God created us to be. Identity boils down to how we truly see ourselves and how we relate to God. And if our relationship with God is distant because of our own pride, then there is no way we can have an accurate view of who we are in Jesus. When we lose sight of who we are in Christ, pride is right there with us distorting our view of ourselves. For me, I was able to disguise pride in a false humility and self-deprecating humor, but there was no fooling my own heart. When I eventually hit rock bottom, I finally could look past the pride and see that I needed help. Taking off my mask During the height of the COVID pandemic, I saw a mask that has stuck with me ever since. Someone had taken a photo of their nose, smile, and chin and printed that photo onto a mask that they could wear as they entered stores. I had to take a second look because at first it caught me off guard and it was a bit unnerving to see someone in the store with a straight smile that never changed. It was only after several seconds that my brain registered the fact that it was a custom mask I was looking at and not the person's actual smile. The person underneath the mask could have been sad or angry, distressed or surprised, and no one would have known because from the outside appeared they were smiling. For a long time, this was the reality for my emotional life. Emotionally, I had made a custom mask that had my smile printed on it. On the outside, I looked happy and fine, but underneath I was in anguish. I felt as if I couldn't remove my mask because I didn't want others to know how much I was hurting. My pride didn't want me to show what was truly going on under the facade that I had created. I wore this mask for so long that even I was fooled into thinking that I had it all under control. When I first heard about Celebrate Recovery, I hadn't hit my rock bottom yet. I still had on that mask and I assumed that I could help those people. I actually believed that perhaps I should serve and become a leader for Celebrate Recovery since I had learned how to forgive a male family member who had abused me. I thought that since I had it all together, I assumed that I could just walk in and help all of those people find healing. Blinded by my pride and deceived by the fake printed on smile that covered my true feelings, I couldn't see how much help I, myself, needed. I thought I had everyone fooled. From the outside, I looked happy and I looked like I had it all together. However, I couldn't keep on that mask for long. I couldn't breathe under the suffocating fake smile I had plastered to my face. It was this facade that kept me from seeking the real help that my heart needed. It was my pride that kept my heart from the healing process for so long. But finally, I let go of that pride, peeled off that fake smile I had worn so cautiously for years, and marched into the doors of a Celebrate Recovery meeting. It was in the general meetings on Tuesday nights that I found a safe place to process my emotions as they happened. I could cry and not feel judged, and it was in the personal journey through the step study where I worked through the Celebrate Recovery's 12 steps that I learned how the pain from my past colored my view of the present. I could share my story and my feelings, knowing that I would not be the subject of gossip. Celebrate Recovery created a safe space for me to ask God tough questions and work through the immense pain that was oozing out of my chest. I started attending Celebrate Recovery because I needed a way to somehow attend the baby shower for my cousin without collapsing from my own pain of infertility. But I ended up staying with the program, working through the steps, and learning how to live a life without an emotional mask. When I finally set aside my pride and took off the mask, I was finally able to accept help from others and begin the healing process. Victory. Now that I actively resist pride, I can recognize it a bit faster than when I first began my journey. However, it is still an ongoing battle to recognize when I am acting out of this facade or when I'm acting out of my true identity in Christ. For me, victory over pride is truly seeing myself for who I am made to be in Christ. I don't want to imagine myself better than I am because without Jesus, I'm really not impressive. But I don't want to imagine myself worse than I am, because then I speak out of pride that in my filth and brokenness is somehow able to cover over the brilliance of His transformational love. In my life, victory over pride looks like the first three steps in the Celebrate Recovery program. Step 1. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. I know that good itself does not live in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Romans 7.18 In this first step, I see that pride has no room in my heart when I step out of denial and see that my life is not as put together as I would like to imagine. This was the biggest obstacle in my recovery. By finally walking into Celebrate Recovery on that September night in 2016, I finally admitted that I was powerless over my unmanageable life. Step 2. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Philippians 2.13 here, I had to set aside the pride that said I was too broken to be helped, too messed up for God to heal. At first, I didn't think that attending Celebrate Recovery would make that big of a difference because I was too messed up. But eventually, I had to come to a point of actually believing that God could do for me what He does best. I came to believe that God could restore. Step 3. We made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Romans 12.1 I have to continually set aside the pride I face and submit to God's will for my life. I've heard it said in recovery that turning our lives over to God is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But turning our wills over to God is a daily choice. That daily choice to lay down my own ideas and instead choose God's plan takes a humble heart. If I submit to what God has for me, then I walk out of a place of humility and grow deeper in my identity in. Christ. I didn't want to go to celebrate recovery at first. I didn't want others to think that I was one of those people. I didn't think it would help or even make that big of a difference. And I wanted to do things my way, not God's. But the pain I felt became greater than the pride I faced, and I finally stepped out of denial and into the hope that comes from walking in humility and identity in Christ. It is out of this victory that I write. Hope This might be the point of the chapter where you are tempted to stop listening. This might be the section that you choose to space out and passively let the words float through your ears. You might only be here to listen to my story, and you might not want to grow in your own walk with God. Dear listener, if that is the case and if you feel tempted to stop here, I want to gently encourage you to take a moment and honestly reflect on your own heart to see if there is any pride. I know for me, it's sometimes hard to receive from others when I feel they are trying to tell me what to do. I promise that is not my intention. I'm not wanting to tell you what to do. I'm an ordinary person. I don't have a degree in counseling. I don't have experience as a life coach. And I have no right to tell you what to do. But what I do know is how my own heart was in need of resuscitation, but I refused to see it. I put off the help that I needed for so long because I refused to take a moment to reflect on what was actually going on in my soul. Before hitting my rock bottom, I would have probably turned off this book at this point. So I want to challenge you to fight that feeling and listen with an open heart. Do you feel like you have it all together and don't need healing? Do you feel like you've been wearing a mask with a printed-on smile on the front? Are you afraid of what's under the mask? Do you need an infusion of hope? Is there something in your life that is unmanageable? Like me, have you faced a point in your life where the pain you feel was greater than the pride you
1: faced? Do you hear the Holy Spirit whispering something to your heart? Let's take a moment and listen. As believers, each of us has the Holy Spirit, and we can hear straight from
0: Him. You don't need to hear from me when you can hear from Him. So I want to take a moment and invite the Holy Spirit into this space. Let's make some time for us to listen and respond. If you feel comfortable, I encourage you to repeat this prayer with me out loud not because the words themselves are magic, but because I believe there is power in speaking
1: out loud. So when you are ready, pray with me. Holy Spirit, come and fill this moment. Incline my heart's ear to hear from you. Help me open my heart to your voice. Jesus, is there an area of my life where I'm living out of a place of pride instead of my identity in you? Please show me. If you got something, whether you heard it in your heart, saw a picture of it in your mind, or just know
0: of a situation that needs a closer look, I challenge you to pray this next part with me. And when you hear the phrase, this situation, feel free to insert your specific situation that came to mind.
1: Father, I am sorry for living out of the pride of my heart. Forgive me for my pride in this situation. Please help me take this mask off and help me to submit to your will. I cannot do this alone. I admit that my life is unmanageable and I believe that you can restore me. Help me submit my will to you every day. Jesus, I want to live a life of continually growing in our relationship and continually maintaining the pool of emotions in my heart. Help me to live out of my identity in you and not out of the pride of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Resources. In the show notes today, I have put a link to find
0: a Celebrate Recovery in your own area. Perhaps God has put it on your heart to find one near you. Or perhaps he's prompted you to seek counseling or some other form of recovery. I want to encourage you, whatever God has for you, do it. Take a step in the right direction as you grow in your identity in Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to chapter 3 Like I said in the intro, I hope that this has served as a mirror for you to examine your own heart. However, if you do feel like the Holy Spirit brought a name to your mind who needs to hear this, go ahead and share it with them now because who knows, maybe they will join in this journey with you. I pray blessings on that journey and hope
1: that you have a blessed day in Jesus. I feel like with this microphone, I could do some real ASMR stuff. Mm,
0: probably. <laughs> I mean, I could just, I could just go like, "Hello, my name is Rachel Middleton, and this is the ASMR show." <laughs> <laughs> I can do the scratchy microphone. And now I'm gonna scratch the microphone with my nails. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like that one? You you look visibly uncomfortable. Do the mouth noises. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) Okay, no mouth noises. Got it. Okay,
1: duly noted.